genuinely trust and sincerely follow Jesus. Like not Jesus as an idea, not Christology, but genuinely trust and follow Jesus. It's like hit your wagon to him. Welcome to the Wellspring Soul Care Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gotthart, and I'm part of the Wellspring team. Our desire and our mission at Wellspring is to help people discover or perhaps rediscover God's personal and generous love and the joy-filled, flourishing life that's made available to us in the kingdom of God. In this podcast, we engage in thoughtful conversations about our inner lives and the care of souls, ours and others. Today, we get to have a great conversation with Todd Hunter. Bishop Todd Hunter's passion is to help people hear and listen to Jesus' call to come follow him. His vision for a life of following Jesus means being the cooperative friend of Jesus, seeking to live a a life of constant creative goodness for the sake of others through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's expressed that passion in a number of ways. He's the founding bishop of the Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others, which is a diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, past president of Alpha USA, and former national director for the Association of Vineyard Churches. He's led in a variety of ministry settings, has written a number of books, and is also the founder of Center for Formation, Justice, and Peace. In Todd's latest book, Deep Peace, which we're talking about today, He talks about finding calm in a world of conflict and anxiety. Of course, in the conflict-fueled and filled world we're all navigating these days, such a call and invitation and even connection to God in the midst of it is deeply needed. And so I think you're going to enjoy and benefit from this conversation with Todd Hunter. Bishop Todd Hunter, uh, it is such a privilege to get to speak to you today, and uh, thank you for joining us here on the Wellspring Soul Care Podcast. Yeah, thank you, Richard. Thank you so much for uh, connecting me, hosting me with your audience. I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, for those that may not know you, I mean, one, they can hear a little bit of your journey, or they can read about your journey into Anglicanism by reading your book, The Accidental Anglican, but maybe yeah. if they haven't read it, could you share a little bit of your own journey? Because you didn't start Anglican and Anglican, no. I should say. Yeah. No, thus the sort of tongue-in-cheek uh, uh, title of the book, The Accidental Anglican. So the really quick story is, uh, as a young boy, I grew up in a kind of stereotypical 1960s Southern California liberal United Methodist Church. And I would say we are kind of culturally Christian, although I think my mom had a sincere faith. But happening all around me in my high school years was the Jesus movement. And I'm not exaggerating, Richard, every weekend, kids would go to Calvary Chapel and get saved and come back to school on Monday morning saying, I got saved, you know, I went to a concert or something and I got saved. And I'm like, saved? Like, what is that? So it was happening all around me, but I didn't have any interest. I was a bad kid. Um, But when I was in baseball playing college, uh, when I was in college playing baseball, one of the kids on the team just kept inviting me to go to what was Calvary Chapel Riverside, now Harvest, and lots of your listeners probably know Greg Laurie. Mm -hmm. And I um, 
my girlfriend and I, Debbie, now my wife of 46 years, went to church one night. And as was often happening, you know, in the early 70s, we got just the mid 70s, got remarkably converted in one night. And so the Jesus movement really is my background, Calvary Chapel and the Vineyard. Um, and then it really was just an accidental set of circumstances that I was basically recruited into Anglicanism uh, with the notion of trying to help them make kind of more kingdom-like, uh, spirit-inspired uh, kinds of Anglican churches on the West Coast. So I thought I was getting a consulting job, Richard. I never thought in a million years I'd be an Anglican, much less an Anglican bishop. Yeah, and and you did, I, I happen to know that you sort of skipped over a few pieces along the way, just yeah. to, to, in, in terms of time, but you were... Um, very connected to Alpha. In fact, you had, Correct. Uh, those, uh, you you were what president of Alpha? Yeah, I was president of Alpha USA for about five years. Yes, very much uh, respect what Alpha does. Yeah. So and so have have been in leadership roles in yes. the church for for many years, and yes. then suddenly find yourself um, in not just in an Anglican community, but actually bishop of a part of the Anglican. Right. Um, uh, I, I'm sure what the name communion. Right communion communion sorry you're I'm still, for, yeah. still learning my terms yeah um, I get it so what uh, if I can just ask Todd what for you has been what is, was the draw if I can even ask in into yeah. Anglicanism well uh, as a young you know convert 19 years old when I look back certainly amongst the first Christian books ever put in my hands would have been by Anglicans like John Stott and Jim Packer and C.S. Lewis and others. And now at the time, again, I was just a kid. I didn't think, I didn't even, probably never even heard the word Anglican. I just thought they were Christians, you know? Sure. Um, but when I look back, especially because of my relationship with John Wimber in my early 20s, that meant that I got to know all the of John's contemporaries, people like David Pitches and Sandy Miller and David Watson and that generation of evangelical charismatic Church of England people. And then, of course, when I was president of Alpha, I got to know more my generation of people. And I think, Richard, this is all in hindsight, but I've always had an affection for what I call English evangelical kind of charismatic, thoughtful loving, kind Christians. I know that sounds really Pollyannish and it at least exists in my mind that way. Um, and so I think I, I've just had an attraction to it without being able to name it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds, I, I want to meet those people. I mean, I know they exist, I'm yeah. being yeah. but that sounds yeah. fantastic. It's, and, um, and, and so, you know, when, when I think maybe people, when they hear Anglican and then they hear charismatic Anglican, perhaps they go, what yeah. do those, those seem almost like perhaps in the middle picture they have almost oxymoronic, right? Yes. But, um, sure. Can, can you speak to that a little bit? Because that's something I know that you've, you've really do emphasize in, mm -hmm. in your ministry is, is the work of the spirit. Yes. Yeah, I think, you know, just basic creedal historic Christianity is obviously Trinitarian. The problem is a lot of Christians are very clear about the Son and things like substitutionary atonement, very clear about the Father, you know, the world's one true creator Lord, but not so clear about who is this third person of the Trinity. So on, on the one hand, I've just always tried to be 
com completely and truly and sort of in practice Trinitarian. But I get your question, right? Yeah. Like the caricature would be like a crazy, you know, Pentecostal charismatic service versus a prayer book service, right? right? Where everything's written out and you're following the service. And so I certainly get the the caricatures. But um, but the liturgy for me, to, to like, I'm trying to help your listeners here, the literature for me, especially as I think about the context of your work, Richard, has become very much like spiritual practices. Mm. Um, like, like we don't like in my view, I don't say the confession on Sundays. I confess my sins mm. and I don't hear absolution. I receive it. And I don't like say the creed. I, I tell myself, this is the outline of the story of my life. So for me, liturgy is in a sense, spiritual practices that then are made alive and given power and animation or to think of the biblical text, Galatians five fruit, or, you know, uh, in other Pauline writings, the gifts of the spirit, these things all like adhere to or cohere around what is a kind of a steady spiritual practice of morning prayer, evening prayer, or a Sunday liturgy. Mm, mm. Well, um, that's, that's, that's so helpful. And, um, and I'll, uh, yeah, I'll just share for me, I did not grow up in a liturgical I grew up in, mm -hmm. I would say, conservative evangelical environments and yeah. um, in different kind of settings from the megachurch to the church plant to you name it. But, yeah. but only in the last few years have I been part of a more liturgical experience and um, mm -hmm. and it's different. And yet I have found it that, that personally has been, there's a sense in which it, it sort of roots me, it grounds me in something that isn't just... And again, I was the I pastored the evangelical church, so I'm not I am very much sure. in that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Vain. Yeah. So it's not but but there's something about just having in a sense these words, these these um prayers, these rhythms mm -hmm. given to us and joining our hearts with those folks both present, you know, modern and ancient. Yes. Uh, yes. There, there's something rich about that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've often said to uh, friends, Richard or questioners for that matter, that when I think back of Calvary Chapel, to my years in Calvary Chapel and those early years in the Jesus movement, I was given great gifts. For instance, a really high view of, but genuine confidence in the Bible, like not just a good doctrine of the inspiration of scripture, but a, but an embodied high view of the scriptures. I was given a great heart for evangelism. When I think of my vineyard years from Wimber, I was given an orientation to Jesus's gospel of the kingdom. And I was given an orientation for what might a sensible, ongoing conversational relationship with God, the Holy Spirit might look like. Mm -hmm. And now in Anglicanism, I feel like I just discovered, like you said, a different bit of treasures. But I haven't jettisoned anything previous in my life. I've tried to wrap it all up together in some sort of coherent whole. Oh, that's rich. Uh, I love that. I love hearing that. And I, I you, as you mentioned um, people that have, you know, you've got to be mentored by and, and learn from, mm -hmm. uh, if I understand right, Dallas Willard was one of those, uh, folks. Yes, Is that yeah. right? and now of course, for those that listen to our podcast or familiar with soul care, Dallas is, uh, uh, you know, very influential in what we do yes. and what, what Wellspring and soul care are about. So could you talk a mm -hmm. little bit about your connection to Dallas and what, what that was like? Yeah, I think I got to know Dallas. I'm not super clear about this because he, a lot of people don't know this, though he was sort of a registered Southern Baptist and grew up Southern Baptist. 
the last, I don't know, 25 or 30 years of his life, he actually went to a vineyard. So I may have met him in a vineyard um, setting, but I feel like I really met him. uh, I served on Richard Foster's Renovari board for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. And that's my first real conscious memory of getting to know Dallas because he was on the board as well, Mm -hmm. along with uh, James Bryan Smith and um, you know, a bunch of other uh, friends. Those were really, as you can imagine, those board meetings were rich times. <laughs> the, those imagine. were board meetings we actually looked forward to going to because no you know you got to hang out with Richard and Dallas. And um, no, I just like to sit in the that back in that in that room. Wow, yeah, no kidding. We all trust me. We all felt that way. <laughs> um, but I saw. Here's what I always say about Dallas. Um, it was clear that he was always the smartest guy in the room. I mean, he was a world-class intellect, um, a world-class philosopher. Um, but that's, if you ask any of us who knew him well, it's what sticks in us even years now after him being dead is the actual quality of his being. Mm-hmm. That we all would say he's the one person we can look to. And I don't, I'm not obviously talking negative about anybody else. So let me put it this way. He's the most rich um, example we can think of of somebody who pursued quote spiritual transformation into Christ likeness and actually achieved like a dramatic measure of it. I mean, yeah. his qualities of being were just stunning. Uh, so yeah, he was smart. Yes, he was gifted, of course. But man, he was the most peaceful, kind, generous, you know, all the things that all of us would be shooting for in our own formation. Uh, he was the real deal. And I've heard that taught again and again and yeah. and have uh, yeah, been so encouraged by that, frankly, as we mm-hmm. live in a time and obviously for many of us, you know, when they say don't meet your heroes and then you you know <laughs> Yeah. Yeah and then it happens. But but like I said, I've heard this so consistently from so many folks. Mm-hmm. And what do you attribute that to in Dallas's life? I mean because if you're reading even his uh, biography, you know, by Gary Moon, yeah. it wasn't always so. So that no, no, he yeah. was a normal human being for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and you know, I, I, I could think of one or two moments where uh, he might have acted out of that character. So again, he he wasn't in any way perfect. Um, but I think you know to take him at his own word. Uh, I've never said this before. I haven't, I'm having a thought for the first time Hmm. that if like, just take him at at his own word from renovation in the heart. I think he really did have a vision of the goodness, the greatness of God and his kingdom. Hmm. I think he really had that. Hmm. And then he really intended to live in it. You know, his thing of VIM of vision, Mm -hmm. intention and means. Hmm. I think he intended to live in it. And as he wrote, he sought the means And, you know, Dallas was always quick to say the point of spiritual formation is not the spiritual practices. The point of spiritual formation is to be formed. Um, But he had genuine practices. Like I remember him uh, telling me once that, you know, before he would get out of bed in the morning, he would just recite um, Psalm 23. Mm -hmm. And probably some of your listeners have seen his book, Life Without Lack. And in that book, you see what he was unpacking in his soul every morning. And the fundamental thing for Dallas was knowing that he got up every day in the care of another. Mm. He was, you know what, Richard, he was so free. Yeah. 
That's one of the big things I, that gives me goosebumps to even think about. That's one of the things we all noticed. He was not bound up by reputation or whatever. But again, even that was a practiced reality. Um, I remember him once, I don't have time to tell the whole long story, but it was at the end of a conference session and some guy had, you know, and the guys of asking a question at the end of a session had really sort of torn him apart. And we were walking to lunch and I think Ortberg was there and me and I can't remember a couple of others and John or somebody said to him, Dallas, why'd you let that kid get away with that? You could have slaughtered him. And Dallas said, eh, I'm just practicing not always having to have the last word. Oh my. And wow. I think somebody said, well, why? Or, af or afterwards or something. I, but I remember Dallas then telling a story of saying, I grew up, you know, a poor boy on a dirt farm. And he said, it's always just been too important to me that people think well of me and that people think I'm smart and I'm trying to live it down. Mm -hmm. So he practiced this stuff. Like he didn't just practice silence and solitude and that sort of stuff. He, he practiced using those practices to actually shape who he was. Well, and that's what a perfect actually transition that is actually to your to your work and and just Vim, by the way, it's interesting. You know, as listeners, some of the listeners of this, to this podcast will know that uh, in Soul Care, Vim is 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 a key thing we get to in the end of our Soul Care experience around mm. how do we live these things out? How do we live into yeah. the, the the realities of the kingdom? And um, and so you've you've taken that and uh. It, in, in the whole focus on in your book here that uh, just came out pretty recently here called Deep Peace. I'm about halfway right. through it. And I can honestly say I am underlining. I feel like there's just so much underlined and I wrote down so <laughs> many you, questions Richard. that I can't, I won't be able to get to them all. But, but, but what you just said is really, um, well, let's just start there actually. Cause what I was really struck and it just grabbed me in, in the day in which we live, uh, even the, cultural moment in which we live there's so much vitriol so yes. much especially online especially you know and 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 i wish i could say you know i wouldn't even say even among <laughs> christians yeah. or evangelical or whoever i would say especially among yeah. um mm -hmm. and um and so one you know one way people seem to navigate that is well i'm just gonna opt out i'm gonna get off of uh, yeah. being online and i that's certainly mm -hmm. a valid option but I guess as as you talked about, oh, I'll just talk about just you talked about social media or the way we engage in those yeah. things. As a in the first part of your book, you you talk about some peace stealers. Yeah. Um, one, could you talk a little bit about how that can rob us of peace, and mm -hmm. and then maybe shift into and what can we do about it? Then, if I mean, maybe turning it off is is a, an option, but that doesn't necessarily address you know how because it'll come at us another way right so how yeah. do we how do we get at what's going on in our heart um yes so yeah yeah that's clearly the key and it reminds me of, of since we're talking about dallas a funny story he used to tell about when jesus said pluck out your eye and all that he really didn't mean that he said think about it you know if you you could cut off all of your limbs and blind yourself and then just roll into heaven as a bloody stump yeah, because obvious, obviously, if you read other passages of Jesus, Jesus explicitly said that the issues of life come from the heart. 
So, so a couple of things uh, to your question. I think if Jesus were alive today, he would simply say, out of the abundance of the heart, the man or woman doth tweet. So <laughs> Twitter's not the problem. Twitter's just a platform for the human heart. So we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. We're just seeing, or the comments sections of articles. We're just seeing the human heart on display for good and bad. Sometimes it's lovely. Sometimes, like you said, it's horrendous. Um, so that's why you're right in my book. I'm just kind of channeling. I mean, I mean this with my whole heart, Richard. I don't know anything that I didn't learn from Dallas, from Richard, from Eugene Peterson, from Nowen my friend James Ryan Smith, Ortberg, whoever, like, I don't know anything that I didn't learn from others. Mm. And so I'm just trying to put into practice this notion that, that peace is possible, but it's not routinely pursued. And then that raises the question, why? Because it seems counterintuitive, right? Like, wouldn't everybody want peace? And I right. think actually the answer is no, there are things we want more than peace. So then you mm. say, well, like what, Todd? Well, we want to win more than we want peace or we want a, a bit of that lady's hide more than we want <laughs> peace or you see what I'm saying we there are actually things that we want more than peace and and so you're right that's a part of what I'm trying to do in the first part of that book is to talk about these peace killers or peace yeah. stealers yeah 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 that's that's super helpful so so if I'm on if I find myself on uh, and I'll even just you know sort of confessionally here. I I've I ha actually uh, needed to uh, you know I I'm not anti Facebook or pro Facebook, mm -hmm. but I say it's a yeah. tool like a lot of other things, yes. and mm -hmm. there can be great things. But I found myself getting stirred up. But it was funny. I found myself not just getting stirred up by a, a particular thing, but then like going back to it, knowing it would stir me up and get mm -hmm. me all bothered and then like what am i doing i'm i'm, I'm mm -hmm. intentionally putting myself in a place to get and i guess to, to rehearse like you said that my own sense of rightness or their wrongness or uh, you know i guess superiority and and yeah and so you know we find if we find ourselves in that place what would you say you know like okay just just stop it just get off of it or i, I mean it seems like there's there's so much more in your book than just hey avoid that there's a cultivation oh, yeah. Yeah. a cultivation of of an internal kind of peace could you unpack that a little bit for us yeah um mere avoidance doesn't work i mean anybody who's been on a diet or tried to quit smoking or even with somebody even with something way more addictive like pornography just trying to avoid it uh doesn't work mm -hmm. um so beginning with the last example um Pornography is not, um, we don't get victory over that by mere willpower. Hmm. We have to become the kinds of people who love women so much that we would never objectify them and use that for, use them for our viewing pleasure. That's a very different thing mm -hmm. than just trying to will ourselves. And so that it's the same thing with, um, kind of unrighteous anger or something where we have to get to the place where, um, as Jesus said, we like, I mean, this is revolutionary, right? We love our neighbors. We love ourselves. And sometimes our neighbor is our enemy because mm -hmm. they say bad things or they hurt us or they gossip about us at work. And then we lost a promotion. Well, that hurts. You can't just, you can't deny that that hurts and you right. can't like grunt your way into coming to care for that person. You have to, and, and I think it's a combination of 
wisely using the various um, spiritual disciplines, but with, I mean, not everybody can afford a spiritual director, but at least with a wise Christian friend with whom you're beginning to ask what I like to say is Ignatian questions. Like, where am I feeling the absence of God here? Where am I feeling on my own where I need to protect myself? Or where am I feeling the consolation of God? Or, um, or is it Frank Laubach, you know, his game with minutes. So for me, Richard, one of the like top, what am I trying to say? Top most, um, most effective and most practiced of my spiritual practices these days is just trying to remain present. Because often in that moment, when we're thinking about flaming somebody online or something, what we're actually picturing is a future. We're picturing a future in which what I've said online is created by what I've said online. And and the affect that it'll have on somebody, hurt them, put them in their place, show them up, whatever. So we're actually not in the present moment. We're picturing a future moment. But if we can stay present to this moment, that's the moment that God is in. God is only in the present. He's he's you know what I mean? He's the future hasn't arrived yet. The past is gone. God is in the present. That's why there's all that that history of Christian literature about practicing the presence of God or the sacrament of this present moment, et cetera. That's the reason why all that's there. And honestly, Richard, just simply practicing in that I find makes, of course it's not perfect and I'm not perfect, but man, it's a very powerful tool for, for reining us in apart from just our willpower. Yeah, that's so helpful. And I want to come back to, because later in the book, you actually talk about, um, three kind of key practices even to orient a day around. Well, I want to come back mm-hmm. to that, but I, the, this one right here, because this is kind of the heart of it, being, being practicing, being present, being in God's presence, mm-hmm. being aware of God's presence um, throughout a day. But let's say even in a moment where we'll use the overused word, I'm triggered or I'm yes. um, worked up about something. Yes. Um, one, it seems like that does require, A, it requires an, an ability to be self-aware. Right. An ability yes. to to have some sense of sort of stepping outside of myself or even having a conversation with myself about, hey, what's yeah. going on inside of me? Uh, mm-hmm. how, how else would we what else helps us, I guess, to be present and not, like I said, run to either a past wound or frustration or a future outcome that we wish we could get to or we want to accomplish? Yeah. How do we stay in the moment with, that, you know, that we're in? Yeah. Well, I have little practices that I use throughout the day. And I actually, I, I can't remember for 100% certain, but I think uh, it's certainly my practice that before even getting on a podcast like this, I'll, I'll ju- I just pray little prayers like, come Holy mm. Spirit or, mm. um, or Father, may your kingdom, you know, uh, be manifest in my conversation with Richard or may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, the thoughts mm. of my mind. Or I'll often pray when I'm going to speak uh, in any setting, I'll just pray. Now, Lord, in this moment, make me a gracious, generous, generative presence. Or mm. I'll say, Lord, help me be present to this crowd, not some other crowd, but help me be mm. present to this audience. So mm. I literally go through my day just trying to invite God into those moments. And then mm. again, that includes our willpower, Richard, but it mm-hmm. so much transcends it. Like it includes our thoughts, our minds, our will, our soul, our spirit, our heart. Um, But it like uh, it gives them a cohesiveness that allows us then to use those for good Mm. 
rather than, as you were saying, feeling triggered. I think when we use the word triggered, we just simply mean that caused me to have a really strong, usually negative feeling. Well, okay, there's nothing wrong with that. If you, if some, if if you experience trauma in your past and something triggers that, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. Right. It just means now you have to ask the question, now what? And you can't do that unless you're really learning to live in the present. Mm. And I I love that because again we're kind of going back to Dallas's vim. So a vision of mm -hmm. a life of peace, a life of it, not just external but internal peace, mm -hmm. um, and then an intention to move in that direction, but with means. And so even these prayers, a, a, a short prayer yeah. is a means to those are my means. Yeah, yeah, those and then mm -hmm. and it and just and again, sure, those could be just words. They could be just an expression of, uh, but they, when they, when they get connected to, um, our, our desire and our intention to move towards an internal peace and a connection to God, I think that's, that seems like that's what helps us get grounded in the moment. In the yeah. And, and for me, it really is rooted in a vision. Like the, the subtitle to my first book is following Jesus for the sake of others. The name of my diocese is churches for the sake of others. And I, honestly, I don't know where I got this, but somewhere deep in me, well, no, actually I do remember where I got it. The night that I got saved at Calvary Chapel Riverside, you know, they used to give you like Billy Graham, they used to give you a little paperback Bible to take home Yeah. Uh, with, with a little track that Greg had written called Ben Born Again's New Believers Growth Book. And you know, you, you went home and you looked up these scriptures and I remember looking up 1 Corinthians 5, 17 for the first time. You know, if anyone is in Christ, mm. you know, behold, all things are gone. All has become new. Well, I, I was not used to reading the Bible, so I didn't see the little tiny numbers for the verses. And I just kept reading and got to the place where Paul says, and now you're Christ's ambassador, that God is now imploring the world through you. So somewhere deep within me, I take no credit for this. I've just always known that whatever Christian spirituality is, and whatever Christian spirituality is in me is meant to be experienced by others as for their good. Mm. And that's my fundamental orienting thought. And that's why I pray those little prayers. Again, we're back mm. to them. I have this vision mm. of my spirituality never being merely about my piety, but for the good of others. And so then I seek the means to that. And you're right, those little prayers are my means for yeah. trying to live into my intention of that vision. One of the things that you talked about in uh, the God of Peace in the, that section, mm -hmm. and it's so rich. In fact, I just wanted to um, just read a, a, a couple of, of things that you talked about. Okay. One, uh, we'll say on pages 45 and 46, it's, you are already clean. And I love this line. There is nothing more you need to do to clean yourself up in order to make God like you or want to be with you. Now, maybe people listening to this have not only have they heard it preached, they may have preached it themselves, may have taught that, that that's already true. But what helps us, again, move that from a, a, a theological truth, our position or standing in Christ, to a lived reality like that? I Because we could, a lot of us that maybe even have taught that would say, if we're really honest, 
I'm not sure that that has that truth has made it all very deeply into my soul. Um, yeah. It's more of like I know it to be true, but I'm not sure that's how God actually feels about me. Yeah. So to be candid, Richard, with you and your listeners, which of course I would always want to be, um, that sentence comes out of my own struggle with it. Like if you were to ask me what's been the number one struggle of your Christian life, it wouldn't be around, um, you know, like the normal sort of big sins. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, again, not that I'm some great person, but but on the really deep, fundamental, um, spiritual issues of human life. Um, I grew up deeply assessing myself because I grew up playing sports and I was a perfectionist and uh, it's baseball season. So maybe I can say this. I don't mm -hmm. know when this podcast drops, but um, hopefully it'll drop in <laughs> before hopefully the World so. Series yes, is over. Yeah, exactly. Um, but honestly, Richard, as a little kid, I would chart my at bats like I grounded out to third. Yes. Like I grounded out to third on a 2-0 changeup or something. And I was just so obsessed with being better. Mm. And I, and, you know, and coaches, of course, appreciated that and interacted sure. with it in certain ways. My dad did. And so I think I just thought that that's kind of what God was like. And so when I was doing the work on this book and I read that sentence again, where Jesus says, you are already clean. Mm. It was like, <laughs> mind blowing that, oh, I don't. Are there still dirty spots in my soul? Yes, of course. I mean, none of us are going to be perfect this side of heaven. Um, but in noticing, it's hard to notice those and simultaneously notice that God loves you. Hmm. Because I don't believe it because I don't love me. I didn't love it when I made outs. Right. I was self-condemning when I made outs. Right. I'm 65 years old, Richard, and I can still remember making an error in the outfield in a college game where we lost the conference championship. I still remember it. And sure. it's 40-some years ago. Oh, well, yeah. why do I remember it? It's not so much the actual physicality of the ball and me getting a bad jump on it. It's the what I felt in my heart, the condemnation mm. of myself. Mm. And I just think most of us carry that around. And so then, like you said, the, it's, it's a notion that God loves us, but not always a, a genuinely lived experience. And I'm telling you, it's probably been the number one uh, battle of my life is to really believe that. And like you said, I've preached it my whole life. Yeah. Um, but I just think we don't understand that. Like think of a family gathering, a birthday party or something, and there's a toddler there, you know, a nine, 10, 11 month old, you know how they start pulling themselves up on the coffee table and everybody sure. goes, look, 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 I think they're going to take their first step and they turn around and they, you know, tumble down on their diaper. Well, the whole crowd doesn't go, what an idiot kid, what a jerk. <laughs> you know, everybody goes, you know, come on, Tommy, you can do it. And, and in the same way that we love the development of our children, I think we need to see that God loves the development in us. And, but I have to remind myself that like God is charmed by my desire to mm. be like him. And he's mm. charmed by the progress. Otherwise, Richard, I think all he sees is the gaps. And then if I hate the gaps, well, he must hate them. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah, it's times when I think, well, man, I see the, the junk in myself. And so if God's not paying attention to that, then he must be a bad judge of character or something. Yeah. You know? Well, then what's wrong with him? Yeah, that's a, um, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> but 
but that you're right that and and it's of course even we would say okay positionally or doctrinally god sees us through the lens of christ but also he he calls us his beloved right it's like even yeah i don't know you think of even the the most messed up person and yet they're they have a parent who loves them right i mean mm-hmm. that yeah. still sees the the beauty and potential in them um i wanted to jump to um another uh, section of it actually to what you referred to a little bit earlier uh was talking about being present but you described in in the book kind of three kind of key parts of a day or that help Mm. you orient a day could you could you talk about that a little bit yeah this is a rhythm that has come to me a little bit late in life um meaning in the in the last few years it it wouldn't have been well, the holism in which I now think about it, it probably wouldn't have been with me in my 20s. Um, so basically, Richard, what I do is I, I dedicate my day to God in the morning. Mm. And sometimes I'm using the Book of Common Prayer. Sometimes I'm using Celtic Daily Prayer. Sometimes I'm using Praise You Go. Um, you know, it, I, I, I vary it on purpose because just my personality needs the variation. Yeah. So I might use the Book of Common Prayer for six months or a year or for a season. And I, you know, I, I switch it up. But whatever I'm doing, whatever tool I'm using, I'm intending to dedicate my day to God. And so sometimes I actually anticipate the day like, okay, what are the meetings I have? What are the activities I have? My common prayer is um, that I would be present to the people and events of my life. Those are my two big words, people and events. Because, you know, like you, I'm a professional. And so my life is, you know, comprised of people and events. Um, So so I've, uh, I've, develop this trinitarian prayer well so oftentimes in the morning almighty father maker of heaven and earth set up your kingdom in our midst and then i'll say lord set up your kingdom in my body my soul my spirit the words of my mouth the meditation of my heart etc set up your kingdom in my my dear ones my family set up your kingdom in my work and then i'll pray lord jesus christ son of the living god have mercy upon me a sinner pardon and deliver me so there i'm thinking of that great like wesley and him you know that the be it be to me the double cure where i'm not only pardoned but delivered and then finally the trinitarian prayer ends with holy spirit breath of the living god renew me in all the world so i use devices like that to just dedicate my day to god then as i said as i go through my day um in each individual segment i intentionally make myself present to it by these little prayers come holy spirit come rule and reign of god if if it's if I know it's going to be a difficult conversation, again, you know, Lord, Lord, give me wisdom, discernment. I'll actually pray for the gifts of the Spirit that I need for that particular mm. incident. Mm. And then at the end of the day, I practice Ignatian examine. Yeah. And that's been so great to me. I, I put a little personal twist on it. And sorry if you don't know what Ignatian examine is, but maybe Richard can put a link in the show notes or something. Sure. But we most will. most of you most of you probably know what it is. But um, you know, part of it is just what you'd expect. You're, you're examining your day and trying to notice when you felt the presence of God leading and guiding and when you felt um, desolation, as uh, Ignatius would put it. Mm-hmm. And But the little twist I put it on, Richard, is I always start with Thanksgiving. So I review my day mm-hmm. in Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Now that will lead me to, oh, but in that moment I felt whatever. But I start with Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. Going through the day, being thankful for 
where um, like I'll often just thank God for my staff or somebody who gave me a kind word during the day. I, I go through a beginning with Thanksgiving. I think my soul needs that. Like you said, there's so much negativity in the world today, so much condemnation that I find it useful to start with reviewing my day in Thanksgiving, but it always leads to other things as well. Sure. Sure. And even, uh, and yet you're right. I, I completely agree. I think there's such a gift in, and even to our own souls of being reminded of the gifts. My wife and I have been trying to do this practice at dinner when we can. It's just even just that question. What are, what were the gifts of today? And mm, that's and great to, yeah. to look back on and say, you know, again, it's, it's just noticing, you know, things that mm-hmm. I may have been aware of or not aware of at the moment. And like, mm. then, like you said, there will be plenty of opportunity to uh, reflect on ways that I either maybe missed or was mm-hmm. not aware of or not connected to God's love or our kindness towards others and myself, all of that. Um, and then to just name those and offer offer myself again to God. Um, mm-hmm. That's really a description of examine, right? And there's lots of, obviously yes. lots of ways and even tools for examine out yes. there. Mm-hmm. Um, apps and yeah. all kinds of stuff. I wanted to, to, the kind of last question I wanted to dive into mm-hmm. with you, if I could, Todd, is, is you know, in a little later in the book, we, you start talking about uh, becoming people of peace, right? The, not just the, uh, in fact, the title I'm looking at is an apprentice to Jesus in peace. And that we're called to be, I mean, I don't think people listening to this are going to be shocked to say that we're, or to, be, to hear that we're called to be peace, not only peaceable, as you talk mm-hmm. about, but peacemakers, um, right. and to be moving towards others with a posture of even desiring to bring reconciliation and healing. Right. But um, I'm I'm picturing uh, someone that might say, "Well, but we have to um, stand up against you know bad things. We have to fight mm-hmm. uh, against the." Um, those or those maybe even whoever that might be that are threatening our, you name it, our, yes. our, our freedom, our liberty, our, or, our fight against our, um, or even contend for our faith, you know? And, sure. and so yeah. we, how, how do we hold together a contending, if you will, for our faith with a peacemaking kind of posture? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, Peace in that sense isn't capitulation. It's not a mere absence of conflict. It's a, maybe the way to think of it, Richard, would be it's a positive vibe. It's a positive way of being in the world. Hmm. So for instance, is Jesus wimping out when he allows Judas to kiss him as a sign Hmm. of betrayal? Hmm. Or, you know, the way Jesus goes through mock trials and stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, today with what's thought of as this sort of muscular Christianity, you know, you would picture Jesus uh, after the resurrection, but before the ascension, going back to Pilate and say, hey, sucker, want to talk about truth now? (laughs) You know, you just never see Jesus operating that way. And now people, Mm -hmm. you can guess the one thing people always say, well, what about when he overturned the, you know, tables of the money changers? Okay, true. He did. And so this, so I think of Dallas again, is Dallas used to say, well, I trust Jesus's anger. I'm not sure I trust yours Ooh. or, you know, not sure <laughs> I trust my own, my own. Right. I heard him say that too. I'm not sure I trust my own. Now, again, that doesn't mean there isn't such a thing as righteous anger. Of course there is. But 
but but when that gets banged on all the time, when that's the only note we know how to play, mm. we miss vast other parts of Christ likeness. Um, was there the occasional insistence on something in Jesus? Yeah, sure. He said some tough things to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There's no doubt. So nobody should nobody should think of peace as wimpy or weak. Um, in the same way that we're very comfortable saying, you know, like God is love. Well, God is also peace. Or do we think of him pacing the golden streets of heaven, you know, with his like anthropomorphic head held in his anthropomorphic hands, you know, pacing nervously saying, oh, myself, you know, like <laughs> I, I didn't picture a time when humanity would be confused about sexuality. What am I going to do? Or, oh, my, oh, myself, I didn't picture postmodernism like Peter, quit, go get a dictionary. What's epistemology? And I think <laughs> I think if we're not careful, we project our own anxiety onto God, which mm -hmm. then rationalizes our own distemper or bad temper and we then rationalize that as godly when in fact most things that we do out of a bad temper i'd say 99 percent of what we do out of a bad temper could be done better in peace love joy kindness generosity etc mm. so good so rich uh it's there's so much here honestly to, i and i'm like i said i'm about halfway through and i'm finding myself just really challenged um and even even in here, even just just reading a piece about just how important is it that we feel like we have to be right? I mean, yeah. again, because mm -hmm. that so much of I mean, you think of Christ again. You, we keep coming back, of course, to Jesus, and of course, he was right all the time, and he was mm -hmm. maligned or even let people, if you will, yeah. um, say or believe the wrong thing, and didn't feel a need like you know you described Dallas earlier like didn't have to get the last word and make sure that they were put in their mm -hmm. place right and yeah it's kind of a it's kind of a funny anecdote to think Peter uh, sorry to think of Jesus chasing the rich young ruler down a sidewalk wait a minute I got one more thing to say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no right, you're right he right. just he, he let him walk away hmm. um yeah yeah oh that's so it's good. you know it's it's this is mysterious stuff. It's not easy. Guys like me who write these books, we we try to say things, you know, to make them plain. But it, the, you're right, Richard. Living into these things is um, it's easier said than done. But it, I I think we're tr we're trying. Well, I it's this book is is a tremendous gift. I think to folks that um, are that find there's a longing for peace both internally and uh, mm. with others and in the world around us and and todd my understanding is there's more than this is more than just thoughts in a book but there's an initiative that you're undertaking yeah Could you talk a little bit about that yeah thank you so the last page of the book has an ad that says if you want to keep thinking about um formation and justice and peace uh, that I've started a center called the Center for Formation, Justice, and Peace. And it gets back to one of your early questions that I'm sorry, I don't think I did a very good job on. And that is my real passion right now is to try to bring issues of peace and issues of justice into conversation mm -hmm. and to show how formation and justice actually were always meant to work together. And they've been divided. I don't mean that in like in an evil sense. They've been divided as practices but they've always meant to cohere in one whole Christian life. And that's what I'm trying to do in the center. What would the center, and this is, this is, is, is forming yet or what? Yes. Can it's you tell us yeah, a brand about new. Just, yeah. 
Yeah, sorry, just launched 12 days ago. And I so I had to put enough on the whiteboard, you might say, to go public, but I've intentionally not filled the whiteboard because um, to, to use a church planning example, I want to pull together like a core team or a launch team so that we would, as a community, try to discern what's the space in which this center can do a certain sort of discrete work that you know that other people aren't doing it i mean if other people are doing it better than us then we'll join them celebrate them but is there a place where um you know the spirit might be giving us a unique voice and so we're still trying to discern that yeah. but there's enough on the on the website uh what is it center uh, fjp i think dot org um okay. That you and can we'll at link. least people can at least snoop around on it and and get a feel for where we're going, and we'll link to that as well in the notes okay. for this for this episode. And 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 is there a sense? And again, this is also forming maybe um, just as kinds of um, areas that have are, are, are emerging, or maybe are, are passions of yours already. Well, I, I personally, privately, would have a passion around issues with children and mm. um, um, poverty and illiteracy uh, and that sort of thing. But I think uh, also because of who I am, there'll be a little bit of a think tankish sort of thought mm. leadership mm -hmm. th uh, thing that needs to happen, I think, because as I think you were alluding to, and again, I'm sorry, I don't think I gave you a very good answer, but Christians oh. are really confused about justice. Yeah. Like, is that a Marxist idea or a Jesus idea? I mean, literally, mm -hmm. that's how far apart mm -hmm. this conversation can be. Right. So there's probably some thought work we need to do. Mm -hmm. There will be some direct action. Uh, we'll do some things that are normal, like retreats and uh, that sort of thing. But yeah, what I want to do is bring together, um, as I said, justice and formation. I remember once working with Dallas, um, in a think tank kind of thing with Nav Press, I believe, where we were trying to come up with various definitions about spiritual formation. And I probably can't recite this perfectly, but one of the paragraphs we wrote was that spiritual formation by its very nature is missional. That as you begin to take on the heart of God, that you kind of automatically get God's heart for the least, the lost, the left out, the marginalized. And I, I think, Richard, we all believed that was true. We And it was written like 30 years ago. But I think now we have enough evidence to know that it's not actually automatic that, mm. that people seeking formation end up with a heart for the broken, the lost, the marginalized, you know. Right. Um, so I'm trying to just bring those things gently together. I don't have a big criticism of anybody or anything. In fact, sure. I was going to say earlier, I think, I know we got to go. I feel like some of this is sequential that a lot of people get into this and yes, it does become pietistic for a while and maybe necessarily so, but then as they mature in it, I think they begin to, to want actually to use whatever wholeness they're getting for the good of others. And that's, mm. I'm trying to work in that liminal space where people are, uh, are seeing the goodness of their own formation, but wanting to leverage it for the good of others. Oh, so good, so good, and uh, gosh, so much we could talk about there. But we're gonna, we're gonna, yeah, that part of the Thank conversation. <laughs> and I'm gonna have one last question that I like to ask uh, yeah. most of our guests, and that is this: is many of the folks listening to this are either part of a church, perhaps leading in one, and of course, mm -hmm. in the world these days, uh, things can seem bleak or dark or even uh, not real hope filled. And so, mm -hmm. when you think of the church and the broad 
broad sense of that word. Yes. What What is it these days is giving you encouragement or hope? Young, godly, spiritual, creative leaders. Every time mm. I see one, I sometimes joke with my wife whenever I meet one. And being a bishop, you know, I, I actually meet them fairly frequently. I'll go home and say to my wife, Debbie, okay, I can die happy now. It's okay. Like, you know, I don't have to fix everything. Everything doesn't have to be on me. Everything doesn't have to be on my boomer generation. I laugh at myself because it's so ridiculous, you know, to somehow think we were the generation that we're going to, you know, make this final difference. So whenever I see young, godly, created, spirit-filled leaders, I just, it actually brings me joy. Like, okay, oh, Lord, I get it now. You got it. <laughs> that's that's great to hear. Okay, then I'll just do a follow-up to that question. Yeah. If you have one of these young godly uh leaders in front of you uh, any like kind of found it and they say to you todd give me one piece of wisdom that i need to hang on to as i as mm -hmm. i'm kind of early in my ministry life anything you would say to them off the top of your head genuinely trust and sincerely follow jesus mm. Mm. like follow not jesus as an idea not christology but genuinely trust and follow Jesus. That's like hit your wagon to him. Hmm. Well, that's, that's well, well said and you can't beat that. <laughs> Todd, thank you so much for the gift of this book. Again, deep peace and a high, again, a high recommendation um, from, from us uh, to, to those listening and, and just thank you for the work you're doing, Todd, not only, um, in churches for the sake of others uh, in your diocese, but also for uh, the work you're doing in this um, peace and justice initiative. I'm excited about that. And thank you. Thank you. That. Thank you. I'm really grateful for bringing me into your big friendship here on this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for today's conversation. If you found it helpful, feel free to share this podcast with others and subscribe to it on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you found us, and give us a rating. We'd really appreciate that as well. Again, if we can serve you as part of Wellspring, we are here to serve the church, both its leaders and people in whatever ways we can. So go to wellspringca.org to see what resources we have to offer and how you can be served by them go to our Facebook page. Just search Wellspring on Facebook and you'll see lots of resources there as well. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, grace and peace.